Hello, my friends, and welcome to The Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for September 15th is Daniel chapters 4 through 6. Beginning with chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar writes an open letter to all the inhabitants of the entire earth. This is a reminder to me that nobody is outside of God's reach. The political elite who are evil in some people's estimations are not outside of God's reach. Nebuchadnezzar was the richest, most powerful man in the entire world. Babylon was one of the most notorious kingdoms to have ever reigned. You'll remember in the statue dream of yesterday's reading, how Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon were the gold head of this statue, and each subsequent material going down to the silver neck and the bronze torso and the iron legs and the clay mixed with iron feet, these materials all became less valuable, and they represented the kingdoms of the earth that were to replace Babylon over the next several hundred years. There was nobody like Nebuchadnezzar. There was no kingdom like Babylon. And he has this dream and this testimony of his humbling by the Almighty God changed him. He writes in verse 3, and this is written by Nebuchadnezzar, which is very interesting. He says, I am pleased to tell you about the miracle and wonders the Most High God has done for me. Not just to me, but for me. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I had a dream and it frightened me. Sometimes to get our attention, God will send us a dream to frighten us. It was his kindness that led me to repentance. And it was the same for Nebuchadnezzar. 13, it says, as I was lying on my bed, I saw in the visions of my head a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called out loudly, cut down the tree and chop off its branches. Of course, the dream was about a tall tree in the middle of the earth that reached to the heavens and all the birds of the air made their perches there. The living creatures lived underneath it. It provided food basically to all of creation. And he has this dream, but he doesn't know what it means. And of course, none of his magicians or sorcerers are able to help him with that. But there's quite a cry that's going out. And so eventually word gets to the king that Daniel can interpret it. And so Daniel does. Verse 22, he says, that tree is you. This is the decree of the Most High. You will be driven away from people until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. There is no one who can stand against the Most High God. Your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that God rules. Daniel says, May my advice seem good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right, by showing mercy to those in need. I bet Nebuchadnezzar was shaken up for a day or two, maybe a week. But about a year later, it all comes to fulfillment as he's walking around on the deck of his palace overlooking the kingdom. He says to himself, isn't this Babylon the great that I have built by my vast power? and for my majestic glory. Isn't that what we do when we are successful, when our businesses take off, 
Don't we become puffed up in arrogance looking at what we have done? Isn't that a terrible risk to exalt ourselves in such a way? While these words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You're going to feed on grass like the cattle for seven periods of time or seven years, perhaps, until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to the heavens and my sanity returned to me. So he's literally driven out into the field. The kingdom is held there, but King Nebuchadnezzar is put out into the field where he lives like an animal. He eats grass. It's like he's hanging out with the oxen. He's getting wet with the dew that comes down from the sky every morning. His nails have grown out like bird's claws or talons. But at the end of that, when his sanity was restored to him because he had humbled himself, he says, as he looks up to the heavens, I praise the Most High and honored and glorified him who lives forever. And again, it was God's kindness that humbled Nebuchadnezzar to give him a proper perspective. So much better to be humbled in this world and then restored than to be left arrogant and full of pride and then have to be humbled at the judgment seat that is coming to us and for us all. Chapter 5 is about King Belshazzar, who is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. He exalts himself with arrogance and pride, but he doesn't repent. And so we see this difference between these two men, one of them who repents and the other one who will not, and they meet quite different ends. Belshazzar's name means Baal will protect. How ironic to be named after your false god, putting your faith in this false god to protect you, but this false god cannot protect you. Baal means lord or master. It's the same root word that is translated Lord much of the time. And it's one of the reasons that I do not like that translation of God's holy name, Yahweh, or the tetragrammation, Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh, being translated as Lord, because it's not Lord. He's, he is the Lord over lords. He is the king over kings, but he's not just a Lord. And so to take out his name, and replace it with the word Lord, which literally means master, same word as Baal here, the pagan god. It's a travesty. Literally, Belshazzar throws this feast for a thousand of his nobles while the Medes and Persians are laying siege outside of the city of Babylon, and where he should have been quaking in his boots because his kingdom is about to come to an end, he should have been humbling himself before the Most High God, who is able to exalt kings and take them down. Instead, he takes the gold and silver articles from God's most holy temple, the temple of Yahweh in Jerusalem, and he uses them to drink wine out of with his big party of his nobles and his wives and his concubines, and they are exalting themselves. And it says that they are praising their gods made of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. And then this 
hand that looks like a human hand appears and begins writing on the plaster of the wall in the palace banquet room. And it visibly shakes Belshazzar as it should have, but still he doesn't repent. He wants to know what these words written on the wall mean. The magicians, the mediums, the sorcerers are unable to translate it. And so he calls out, somebody overhears this commotion and remembers that there is Daniel in the land. And Daniel is brought in. King says to him, I've heard that you have a spirit of the gods in you and that insight, intelligence, and extraordinary wisdom are found in you. I wonder how many Christians today have that kind of reputation preceding them, that unbelieving kings and governors, prime ministers and presidents who are not believers, how many of them hear about a Christian in the world and think that person has unmatched wisdom and intelligence and the ability to interpret difficult dreams and enigmas. Perhaps we should all be known for that level of wisdom. And so he promises to give Daniel a gold chain and make him third in command. And Daniel says, you may keep your gifts and your rewards. Give them to somebody else. He tells the story of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar's grandfather, and how he was humbled and then returned. And Daniel says, even though you knew this story, you knew all about it, Belshazzar, you have not humbled your heart. You have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. You praised the gods made of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. God who holds your life breath in his hand and who controls the whole course of your life has not been glorified by your words. And let's get to this inscription on the wall. Many was written twice, and it means numbered. God has numbered your days, Belshazzar. Tekel means weighed. You have been placed on the scales of justice and found wanted. Perez means divided. Your kingdom will be taken from you and divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And that very night it happened, Belshazzar lost his life, the kingdom, his legacy, and everything. Chapter 6, Darius appoints a bunch of satraps to be leaders over all of the different regions. And Daniel served under Nebuchadnezzar, then served under Belshazzar, and now under Darius the Mede. Daniel was faithful, and he prayed to God with discipline every day, three times a day towards Jerusalem. And everybody knew that he did that. And as he became distinguished above all of the other elected leaders or the appointed leaders by Darius, they became jealous of him and they could find nothing wrong with him. They were trying to find a way to trap him, but they couldn't. There was nothing. And so they decided we've got to make a law to get Daniel out of this picture. And the only way we're going to be able to do that is if we get a law passed that says no one can pray to any other god other than Darius. We know Daniel so well that his faith in his god is so unwavering that we know he will break this law. No doubt the enemy was behind him knowing that if Daniel's faith was somehow compromised, maybe he wouldn't break the law, but he would lose the favor of God because he would compromise his faith. 
when Daniel learned about the law, it didn't change him. I'm sure it gave him something extra to pray about, but he did as it was his custom. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed and he gave thanks to his God. How many Christians today get down on their knees three times a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and give thanks to God and pray? It's an area for us to grow in, surely. Of course, the plot is going exactly as these wicked men planned. And so when they see Daniel praying, they go and they tell the king, you made a law. The law cannot be changed. Daniel's breaking the law. We need to feed him to the lions. Darius doesn't like it. He realizes that he was tricked. He realizes that they used his own arrogance against him. And he knows that Daniel is a righteous man, but his hands are tied. He carries out the sentence and he throws Daniel into the lion's den. It's interesting to note that this man who maybe was a believer in the Most High God and maybe not, but he definitely respected Daniel. There's a backfire coming for those wicked men who are laying a trap for the godly man. As Daniel is being put into the lion's den, the king says to Daniel, may your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. And after they sealed this den so that Daniel could not get out over the night and nobody could get in to help him, the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting, and he couldn't sleep. Early in the next morning, as soon as the first light of dawn, he runs and he goes and he opens the den and he says, Daniel, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, for I was found innocent before him. And also before you, your majesty, I have not done harm. The king, joyous, gives praise to God, and then he takes those wicked men who planned this evil against Daniel, and he throws them into the lion's den along with their wives and their children, not saying their wives were guilty or innocent, but they were certainly affected by the sins of their husbands. The choices we make affect the people around us. It's a hard truth. It's the way things work in this world. And they were devoured and their bones were crushed before they even hit the deck. It is a weighty thing to fall into the hands of an angry God who is defending his own children. It is a dangerous thing to be aligned with sinners who are raging against the righteous. Many people today, in America in particular, are partnering with the enemy because they have an agenda, because they're angry for some reason. Somebody hurt some of you in the past, and now you are making it a life mission to retaliate against everyone who remotely resembles the person who hurt you. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give Satan a foothold. Many of us have given Satan a foothold, and we don't even know it, but it's destroying us from the inside out. Prayer for you is that you would be able to forgive those who have hurt you, whether they deserve it or not. May you forgive them for your own sake. As you continually seek him, may he bless you. God, give us favor. 
God, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. My friends, thank you for being on this journey with me. We will see you tomorrow.